Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. We invite you this morning to take your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter you know, one of the fun things that parents have done over the last few decades, and maybe it was done before then, but of here recently it seems like it's really, really big over the last couple of decades, is that they love when a baby comes to mail out a birth announcement. They want to tell the world that this cutest, most awesome baby ever, right? That's how every parent sees their child, has come into the world. These announcements, they're, they're always cute. But sometimes they're also funny. <laughs> like, for instance, this kid right here doing the Rocky Balboa. I've arrived! I'm here! Or here's one who's a future, uh, or it's actually a special delivery. <laughs> I love this one right here. Now, notice there that it comes with an owner's manual. The baby came with an owner's manual. I would love to read that. Amen? How, how many of you like to read that? Or here is a future ladies' man right here. Watch out. Watch out. Right, his first words will undoubtedly be a pickup line. You know what I'm saying? Um, but the parents of this sweet little girl, they're ready for boys like the future ladies' man. You can check this one out. I think it says something like, lock up your sons. My daddy's got guns. <laughs> All right, sounds like daddy wants to meet, uh, wants that, boy, uh, that future boy to meet his friends Smith and Wesson. Um, Here's a really cute one, making sure that everybody knows that this baby has all of his fingers and toes. <laughs> ten fingers, ten toes, you know, I mean, I guess that's a real thing, that mamas really do count those things. And that's going to come real handy, in real handy later on when mama tries to teach that baby to add and subtract and to count and to multiply and all those things. And here's one more celebrating the fact that these parents got another tax redu- uh, deduction, right? I mean, why else have babies other than to get a, a tax deduction, right? Birth announcements, man, they are so great. They really are. Um, They're just a natural overflow of the joy that parents feel when God's brought a new child into this world. I mean, parents are excited. They want to share the news and some of those important details like what, what is the baby's name? What day was the baby born? How much did the baby weigh? How long was the baby? Did the baby really have all 10 fingers and 10 toes? You know, of course, the greatest birth announcement in the history of the world came after the birth of the greatest baby in the history of the world. And while we send out a card in the mail or we post something to Facebook maybe or Instagram, Father God sent angels to share the news and some of the most important details. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see what God the Father in his word tells us about this baby. And so on this Sunday before Christmas, I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in the first verse, reading all the way down through the 21st. Here's what the Word of God says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from there into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to help us. So, Father, on this day before Christmas, or the Sunday before Christmas, I should say, Father, our hearts are full because we know that you've brought Christ into the world. Father, because he's come into the world and and done the work, he didn't just come and lie in the manger, but as we saw last week, he emptied himself. He, he, He was born in the manger, but he traded that manger in for the cross. And from that cross, he went to the grave. And from the grave, he rose again that we all who will call on the name of Jesus, can be saved. And so, Father, this Christmas, we rejoice in all of the fullness of the gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that everybody in this room, God, we're thankful for all of the the, the holiday um, trappings that come in the culture here. But most of all, God, help us to focus on the gift of Jesus. And truly, as Mary, as it said here in the text, as Mary treasured these things, she pondered these things in her heart. God, may we do the same thing and marvel at Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. Well, man, that's a pretty stunning birth announcement, wasn't it? And we learned some pretty important things about Jesus from that announcement. So here's today's task. We're going to answer this question. What do we learn about Jesus from his birth announcements that we're going to look at, right? We're going to look here, particularly there at verse 11, and see what we learn about Jesus. Now, you won't find his exact date of birth. I mean, we get a general time period. It was in the days when Caesar Augustus said that all the world should be counted and registered. Uh, we, we, we see here that it was when Quirinius was governor of Syria, but the exact date, well, I mean, we're not sure. Boy, wouldn't you love to know that? Wouldn't you love to know the exact date that Jesus was born, but God in his wisdom, uh, he, he didn't include that. So you won't find his, his exact birth date, you won't find his weight, you won't find his length either, but what we find, guys, it's much more important. It's eternally important. Now honestly, in this relatively short birth announcement from the angels, there's so much that we could say, 
But as we look at the text, we learn at least three things about Jesus this morning that I want to share with you. First, we learn this, that he is the Savior of the world. In this birth announcement, the angel shares with these shepherds and with us some amazing news, right? A Savior, he says, has been born in the city of David, which is the city of Bethlehem, a a rescuer, a deliverer. And the angel tells us this is good news of great joy. Now, as you think about that, they said this is good news, but that's only true. It's only good news to you that a Savior has come. If you realize that you need a Savior, right? I mean, if you weren't aware that you needed a Savior, this wouldn't be good news. This would be confusing news, wouldn't it? I mean, a Savior? For me? For what, right? I mean, just imagine if you're walking down the street one day and this dude runs up to you. He's got on some red shorts and a white tank top, got a whistle around his neck. And, and you're just walking along the street, and all of a sudden he takes a life preserver, one of those circular life preservers, and throws it over your neck. And he says, I'm a trained lifeguard. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to save you. And you'd be like, get away from me, dude. I don't need to be saved. I'm just walking down the street here, man. You would be so confused as to what in the world's happening. But shift the scene to Gulf Shores, Alabama. And you're out there playing in the Gulf of Mexico, and all of a sudden, this wave hits you, this big wave, and it knocks you down and then pulls you out toward the deep. And quickly you realize, oh my goodness, I I just might drown. When Christy and I were on our honeymoon, we decided we were going to take a sea kayak out. Now, just keep in mind, my wife had just learned to swim, basically, in the last year or so. We're going to take a sea kayak, and somehow we get turned sideways, and all of a sudden this big wave comes, knocks us over, and so we're like, oh my God, we're going to die. We literally had to swim that sea kayak back to the beach, and there were a few times I thought I was going to die. But if, just picture that scenario or the scenario where you personally have been hit by that wave and you're being swept out to the deep, if a man in red shorts and a white tank top with a whistle around his neck, comes running out to you and throws a life preserver around your neck and says, I'm a trained lifeguard. I'm here to save you. Wouldn't that be good news? So in the same way, guys, in the same way, when you know that you need saved, and you know that you need a rescuer, that's when it's good news that a Savior has come. In her book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, Rebecca Solnit, she tells the story of her friend Sally, who's part of this search and rescue team in the Rocky Mountains. And Sally, she, she still remembers one frantic search for this lost 11-year-old boy. The boy, he had wandered off one late afternoon during a game of hide-and-seek out in the woods there. And after a while, the, the child realized that he was lost. And he began to blow this whistle that his parents had given him. They said, son, if you ever get lost out here, just blow the whistle and we'll find you. Well, he began to blow the whistle repeatedly for that first day, but nobody heard it. He was too far away. And so he bedded down for the night, but the very next morning he began to blow that whistle again. And soon, that morning, the search and rescue team, it finally heard it, and they found him and they saved him. And so what was the key? What was the key for this child being found? It was realizing that he was lost, which caused him to begin to blow that whistle. You see, Sally says, along with other search and rescue experts, that the key to survival 
If you ever get lost in the Rocky Mountains, the key to survival is knowing that you're lost. That's why kids are often found way more often than adults, because adults, they usually refuse to admit that they're lost, and they try to make their own way out. They try to save themselves only to worsen their situation, but often it's children. They quickly realize that they're lost, and they cry out for help. And so, beloved, this is good news of great joy if today you realize that you were born a sinner in need of a Savior, right? That you realize that you, based upon your own work, you're lost, you're hopeless in and of yourselves. The first step to being saved is realizing that you are lost. You see, Jesus came to save you. And you'll never be saved if you never realize that you're lost. Think about the Ten Commandments for just a moment this morning. They so beautifully demonstrate that you are indeed lost. One of the commandments says, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. And if you've ever lied just once, you're lost in the need of a Savior. One of the other commandments says, honor your mom and dad. And if you ever dishonored your mom and dad even once, you are lost and in need of a Savior. The scripture says, uh, one of the other commandments says, you shall love no other gods before me. And if you've ever loved anything more than God, even once, even for a moment, you are lost and you need a Savior. And I could go through all ten, but those three right there, if we're honest this morning, are enough to condemn every person in this room. Guys, we're all guilty, every one of us. We are sinners. We're lost. We're in need of a Savior. And the angel comes and says here, he comes and says here, a Savior has been born. He's the only Savior, right? Jesus came to save us from our sins by perfectly living that life that we can't live and by dying the death on the cross, that terrible death on the cross that you and I deserve so rightly. And He not only is the Savior, but He can be your Savior. So I want to speak to those of you in the room this morning who are apart from God. You've never turned and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He can be your Savior. Notice that the angel says this is good news of great joy for all the people. That includes you. That includes every person who will admit they're lost, hate their lostness, and cry out to Jesus to save you. So I wonder this morning, if you've come in this morning and you've never received Christ as Savior, would you do that today? He is indeed the Savior of the world. But that's not the only thing that we learn from his birth announcement. Second, as you look at the text, notice what we, what we see here. We, we learn that, that, number two, he is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. Now, as I say that, you might be saying, well, hold on, preacher. I don't remember seeing those words anywhere in what the angel said, but it's there. It's there, all of what I just said there, in that six-letter word. Christ. Now, for the average person, they, they may think that Christ is Jesus' last name, right? We, we often hear Jesus Christ. So Christ, isn't that just his last name, like Ben Simpson or Will Smith or Greg Swack? If, no. <laughs> to be more accurate, right, if we're going to say Jesus Christ, we should say Jesus the Christ, because Christ is a title, 
The word Christ, it comes straight to us into the English from the Greek word Christos. And Christos translates to the Hebrew word Messiah. So the words Messiah and, and Christ, they're both talking about the same thing in two different languages. Literally, the words refer to being anointed with sacred oil. And as a noun, they, they mean the anointed one. Now, as we think about Messiah Christ, you and I, we often think about king, right? I, uh, we just think about that aspect of the Christ, the Messiah, this king, this, this anointed king. The magi, the wise men, when we read the Christmas story there in Matthew 2, when they come looking for baby Jesus, they ask in Matthew 2 too, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east when it arose and have come to worship him. The Jews themselves, right? They expected a conquering king when they thought about the prophet, the, the prophecy of this Messiah, this Christ coming. They pictured in their minds this conquering king who would come to liberate and restore the nation of Israel. But when we look at the fullness of the Bible, the fullness of the big picture of what the Messiah Christ is, we see that he's more than just a king. He is a prophet, priest, and king. You see, all three of those offices and functions of the nation of Israel were officially anointed for their office. For instance, God told the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 19, 16, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So right there we see the prophet Elijah anointing, uh, anointing the prophet Elisha. Elijah anoints Elisha. And so that would often happen. Prophets were often anointed. Of course, most of us, when we think about priests, right, we have no trouble thinking about them as being anointed because we've read, we've read so much in the Bible about how it was an official part of their ordination service, that they would pour oil over them. It was a required consecration rite. We read in Exodus 28, 41, the Bible says, and you shall put on them, this is the priests, you shall put on, you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with them, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. So we see that prophets were anointed, that priests were anointed, but also it's very common for the kings of Israel to be anointed as well. So we read about Saul's anointing, right? Saul was the first king of Israel. We read about this, the, 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 prepa the preparation for this in 1 Samuel 9, 15 and 16. The Bible says, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel the prophet, tomorrow about this time I'll send you to a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince <coughs> over my people of Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I've seen my people because their cry has come to me. And then several years later, we read the prophet Samuel again. He's anointing David as the second king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now in the Old Testament, think about this. Prophet, priest, and king, all of them anointed. It usually took three different men. 
to fill these three different offices. But in Jesus Christ, all three are filled by just one person. This one person, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, fills the munis triplex in the Latin. This threefold office of prophets, priest, and king. So Jesus is the anointed prophet who declares truth to the world. We often think of prophets as, as future tellers, right? As foretellers, but that's not the primary role of a prophet. The primary role of a prophet is a forth teller, a truth teller. And so Jesus, as the anointed prophet, declares truth from God to the world. Jesus is also the anointed priest who offers the sacrifice of himself to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus, as well, is the anointed king who righteously rules over the church and one day will rule over the entire earth when he returns. So Jesus is the Messiah Christ, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. And we learn that right there in his birth announcement. But finally, we learn this about Jesus in this birth announcement. We learn that he is the Lord God in the flesh. The Lord God in the flesh. Do you see that, 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 that there in Luke 2, 11? Look at it again with me. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right there it was, that very last phrase, those last two words, the Lord. This is no ordinary baby. This baby is the Lord in the flesh. You see, all throughout the Bible, the word Lord is used to communicate the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so over and over again in the Old Testament, we see when the word Lord is there, it's translating the Hebrew word of God's name. And so the people of Israel, they knew God as Lord. And so when the angel declares that this baby is the Lord, it's communicating that, that Jesus is not just a human. Jesus is also God. He's God in the flesh. Now, we spent quite a bit of time last week on that truth, on this truth. And so we're, gonna, we're not going to belabor it again this week. But just know that the baby we celebrate Wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger, is no ordinary baby. Jesus is fully God and fully man. But in this birth announcement from the angel to the shepherds, who are in the field keeping watch over their flocks that night, don't miss what the angels said first. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to I, I come back to it because you need to understand this morning. Look at Luke, Luke, Luke 9 and 10, Luke 2 verse 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Guys, listen, I, I have to believe that when the angels burst forth with that light, I have to imagine, I have to believe that it was incredibly frightening. I mean, wouldn't you think so? Just put yourself in their shoes, man. It would be a scary moment, but don't miss how the angel characterizes this birth announcement that he's about to give. This is good news of great joy for all the people. It was good news for the shepherds. 
It was good news for you. It was good news for me. It was good news for Alberton. It was good news for Bowling Green. It was good news for Scottsville. Good news for the entire world. And what did the shepherds do when they heard this good news? Straight away. Straight away. The Bible says that they ran to meet Jesus. And then they told everybody afterward about this Jesus. And I say to you this morning, you need to do the very same thing. Pass the news along. Receive the good news. Rejoice in it. And pass that news along. Listen, if you have never turned and trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, today is the perfect day. Not only because it's the Sunday before Christmas, but because today is today. Do not put it off. I pray even right now the Holy Spirit is convicting you, calling you to Christ, calling you, begging you, wooing you to come to Jesus so that you can be saved. And for those of you that already have, may that joy spill over in telling the whole world that this baby has been born who is the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, who came, lived, died, rose again. That everybody, everybody who will call on the name of the Lord can and will be saved. Here's my final prayer this morning. May you run to Jesus and receive what the Lord has done for you. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins 
Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.